Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Mike Casey on the line. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Michael. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. So you are with TigerCum. Tell us a little bit about that organization and, and some of the amazing work it does. Well, thanks for assuming we do amazing work. I, I, I see it that way, but the fact that you see it that way is heartening. We are the U.S.'s top clean economy Marcom and public affairs firm. In other words, we make our living helping clean economy companies win with customers and with policymakers and investors. That's some important, important work. And as we said it briefly in the pre-show notes, boy, a perfect time for that. You know, we've got it, the timing of this recording, um, about an hour or so ago, um, we have a new president of the United States and there's a lot of new initiatives and things like that. And of course, we know that we're in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, the focus of clean you know, whether it's an energy or cleaning things and all of that kind of stuff are, are coming into play. So let's dive in a little bit more into it. So, you know, what, you know, what types of organizations do you help uh, with this? And, you know, what are some common questions you get from those organizations when they're exploring the work that you do? So we primarily help companies that sell solutions to sustainability problems, wind companies, companies that make wind turbines, companies that install wind turbines and build wind farms. We help people who are running companies who make solar panels or who install solar panels on the rooftops of commercial buildings or homes. We help people who originate PACE loans. So these are mostly our clientele, our CEOs and CMOs of companies that offer climate solutions technologies. And what's so important about that, and I know that this incoming uh, administration, at least from analyst point of view, is there's going to be a, a renewed focus on those types of clean energy things. And for organizations that aren't necessarily familiar with those things, but they're realizing that you know the government is going to be looking at this, and not only from a a policy standpoint, but also from a funding standpoint, they're going to entice organizations to start moving towards um, this type of stuff. And, and I remember, you know, seeing, you know, wind farms and the turbines and, you know, solar panels were, you know, those have been around for a long time, but we're seeing them more because it's accessible. And we know yeah. that, and, and that was the biggest thing. It's like, if you want organizations to do you know, and implement those things, you need to make them accessible. And they, they're starting to. And, you know, even with all the new construction that we're going to be seeing and all of that, there, there's going to be a focus of, okay, we're going to use clean energy and solar to provide a big chunk of power for this condo building or this office building. And the impact that that has is, you know, will be generational. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we're going to see is there's going to be a focus on on those types of things. So your organization is definitely in the right place uh, because I anticipate that there's going to be a lot of organizations that are going to say, okay, we need to start looking at this and what do we do about it? How do we connect the dots and all of that? Because I think that's going to be a big challenge for many organizations. They're going to 
want to take advantage of the new initiatives, but they're not really sure where to look. Yeah, and the and what I can tell you as somebody who's been servicing these sectors for uh, about a decade and a half is we've moved past the point of policy dependence and into a commercial execution phase. So solar and wind are the least policy dependent forms of energy of all the ones that, that are scaled for commercial readiness. Oddly enough, it's the incumbent sectors that are still have their nose at the government trough in terms of subsidies and tax credits and favorable treatment for pollution problems, et cetera. But I think, Michael, what we've really entered into is a is an era of intergenerational awareness that we are living in a world where human ingenuity is infinite in its capacity, but the environment, the the resource landscape that, that it operates on does have limits. And the question is not how can we keep pushing out to reach the limits, but now that we've reached the limits, how do we continue to innovate and grow and advance within those boundaries? And you mentioned something too about the generational component of it. I know in, in working with uh, Gen Y or the millennial generation and even the generation after that, sustainability is a big deal to them, um, more so than our generation and not them diminishing what we wanted to have. But it's, it's a really big deal where you know, people are making decisions on what they buy, where they work based on what organizations are doing as far as the sustainability of our planet you know, and all the initiatives that they do and gone are the, okay, they, they give me this benefits. There's a great coffee machine in the break room and, and all those things. So people are looking at going, what, what are you doing as far as making sure that your carbon footprint or your footprint on this planet is as neutral as possible to make sure that the planet yeah. is healthy and sustained. And that's long overdue. And, but we're seeing that, and it's forcing the hand because, of course, we know that the millennial generation and, and, and Gen Z, that is a huge, huge entity. It's a big, it's a big it's, cohort. It's a yeah, really so, big cohort. You know, so those organizations are looking and going, okay, if we want to please or be able to recruit or have any type of business dealings with this large body of individuals, we need to rethink what we do. And I'm thankful that, that you know, because every generation has a choice. They could say, you know what, we're just going to go about our business and everything's fine. We're just going to continue. But no, that, you know, the millennial generation said, uh-uh, no, we don't want to do that. We want something right. better. And I'm thankful for that because it's going to make, you know, the world a healthier place uh, and make businesses healthier and make them more accountable to what they're doing as far as operating and not just blindly saying, we're gonna, just going to do this. We don't care. And um, I'm glad that those things are in place. And I'm going to, let me take a step further. I think it's tempting for the young boomers and the older Gen X managers of businesses, because people who are in my age cohort, cohort, that kind of at the bottom of the boomers and the top of the Gen X, a lot of us are running companies now, some of them quite large. And I think if I remember correctly, the new vice president's like two or three years younger than me. So we have a boomer president and a Gen X 
vice president. And the point is that we can, it's tempting when you're in that age cohort to treat the sensibilities of younger employees who are in your company or you want to bring in your company. It's tempting to treat that as a reality that I must accommodate to be successful. But I think that's a less beneficial way to interact with that reality. It is a reality, but how do I, but I have agency, I have choice over as an employer over how I interact with that. Better if I shift my understanding of it to one of, of relatedness, because here's the thing that the younger generation is onto. Work is more fun when it's fulfilling than it is burdensome. And what the younger generation is saying, in essence, is we want our work to be meaningful. We want to know that what we do from nine to five or whenever we're working now to have it have impact. And there's an opportunity for older managers and older business owners to come from a place of meaning rather than milestones. Sorry come from meaning and milestones rather than just milestones. I love that analogy. And I love the approach on that is, you know, figuring out, okay, how do we navigate through this? I always advise people, especially if you're dealing with people that have a different background or could be different faith or different experiences and whatnot, seek to understand Yes. Have a conversation with them and, and not in a judgmental way, but an open curiosity of, okay, this is something I, I've never studied before or an approach that I've never really looked at this way before. Okay, how help me understand, you know, how you see this, you know, based on you know your experiences and all of that. When you do that, it makes for a more richer dialogue. And in organizations, it makes it a healthier being because there's communication going on from a, not from the necessarily classic, you know, upper management, mid management, you know, front lines kind of thing, but more of a collaborative, we are this entity. So let's communicate in a flowing way in order to make sure that what we want to accomplish as an organization and meet the demands of all of the consumers um, are being met in a way from a variety of different perspectives. Because as a Gen Xer myself, I can see things based on my perspective and my you know, background and experiences and all of that. But I know that, you know that I am blind in certain areas. When, and when I approach those, then I seek the input of those that aren't blind to that situation to educate me to see where, you know, what's going on with this particular situation or this policy or endeavor, whatever the case may be. And by doing that, it, it grows my learning. I get a you know, more broader view of yeah. certain and, and a better understanding. And then, of course, they, they feel good because they're like, okay, wow, we you know, were able to communicate with this person that's in a different age bracket as me, but we're all on the same page when it comes to this particular initiative. And it just makes for you know, better situations all, all across the board. I'm going to purposely date myself in what I'm about to say, but I think you and I are close enough in age that we can relate. And I think a lot of the people who own businesses will be able to relate. The actor, Michael Douglas, now he's a little older, but he had a role early in his career, very famous role where he played a, a Wall Street hedge fund guy, Gordon Gecko. And I think what we now know, sitting here at the start of 2021, is that the Gordon Gecko viewpoint is fundamentally wrong. It's wrong. Now, how is it wrong? It still is true 
that you can amass a lot of money and a lot of things in your life by being rapacious, by being a bully, by being a, a terrible person to work with or for and doing bad things to other people out in the marketplace because you see business as a blood sport. You can still do that and you get those benefits. But if you notice when you go talk to people who've lived that life and are living the aftermath of it, they have all the material things that those choices have brought them. I notice that to a person, they're miserable people. They're miserable now, and it stands to reason they were miserable getting there. Yes, they had adrenaline rushes, but adrenaline rushes are not the same thing as joy. And you get to be in your 50s, and you realize you, you have enough loss in your life that you realize that you don't live forever, and you begin asking the purpose, the purpose questions around your career, and you realize the Gordon Gecko mindset is it's not a pleasant way to live and to operate. You die early, you die with a lot of stuff around you, your kids don't know you, and everybody thinks you're an asshole. I don't know. It's just not a compelling tombstone read. Whereas if we as older business owners and leaders, we say, hey, you know, there's a lot of accumulated wisdom and we don't want to abandon that. But being spacious listeners to the new wave of employees for what they can add and expand, that's where day-to-day enjoyment goes up and success also can come. It's not a guarantee, but you can have success and joy, but it requires a much different way of relating to the people who are coming in the door to work with you and for you. It's a great example of that. And I've seen leaders and worked with leaders that have been like Gordon. And I've been with leaders that are as selfless as they could become. They're great. They're strong leaders. They weren't weak, but they they knew you know, how to work with people and get the best out of every person because everyone has strengths and they all have areas of improvement. But setting things up where those people could work in their strong spot and be able to still learn and grow you know, depending on what they want to be working on. And those environments are the ones that tend to thrive. Those are the ones that tend to yep. grow. Those are also the organizations that get to navigate things such as pandemics uh, because those organizations that had the Gordons of the world hasn't been a pleasant experience for everybody because those organizations also were of the opinion, we cannot have remote work at all. And for many organizations, they were forced into that picture. Yeah. And they are really having a difficult time because the cat is out of the bag because their employees delivered for the most part while they were working remotely. And now those employees, you know, obviously many millennials as well, are saying, wait a minute, I don't want to go into the office five days a week anymore, depending on the organization and depending on what they do. There are some teams where they're like, I really want to get back into the office because I miss the collaboration. And those are healthy environments to be a part of. Yeah. I 100% agree. So, you know, what's one bit of advice that you give new organizations to reach out to you um, that are exploring, you know, this new, well, I want to call it new, it's been around for a long time. Uh, you said you've been working on it for a long time, but you want to start implementing some of these initiatives, you know, to, 
you know, leave less of a footprint on the planet and do some things to make, you know, clean energy within their organizations or the customers do they serve? What are some other common questions you get and, you know, how do you guide them? So an operating principle for good businesses has always been to lower your amount of waste because waste is a loss essentially. And the only way that waste has been acceptable in business has been when the cost of waste has been pushed onto somebody else. So the most basic step I can counsel a small or medium-sized business to consider is to start to view your overall footprint out in the world. And if you bring a mindfulness to it, you're going to see ways where you are creating waste unnecessarily. And it's not forms of waste that benefit you in any appreciable direct way. You know, most, most businesses, their waste stream, so to speak, keep, I'm talking about not just what goes out the door in, in trash bags, but also leaving lights on, um, etc. Those things don't materially benefit you. If you bring a mindfulness to your waste footprint, you will bring a mindfulness to other ways you operate your business and you're going to pick up new handholds to get up the success ladder. I love that. And a lot of people think, okay, you know, they leave their office light on and they say, well, the cleaners will turn it off. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. No, they won't. Uh, um, no, they won't. Or, or they leave. Or they leave their computer on, and, and and it's like, wait a minute. Do you remote into that computer? No, we have a VPN. We go through. It's like, why are you leaving your computer on? You know, turn turn the lights off. Make sure you unplug things that aren't just you know taking up energy. You know, turn off. You know, even unplug the power strip uh, is probably even a great way because even that's taking up. It's those little things. It's like, well, that's only a little bit. Yeah, but imagine if. 300 million people did that Correct. in the United States. What would that do? You know, we, we've seen, you know, even with this pandemic, you know, pollution levels drop. And yes. it's like, well, how did that happen? It's like, well, because we've changed our behaviors. So going back to the cat is out of the bag, we've demonstrated that we can do it. So I think that's why when we get to whatever the next normal looks like, we have an opportunity to look at, okay, how do we make things cleaner for everybody involved? And we've already started down that path going, okay, maybe we don't need to you know, commute all the time to work. Maybe we can stay home two or three days a week. Even that has a huge impact on things. So it's it, the little things is what adds up to big things. And everybody thinks it's this big thing. Okay, we're going to put solar panels and wind turbines and all that stuff. Important, yes, but it's the little subtle habits that we can implement in our businesses and in our life that are going to have the huge ripple effect. And I'll, let me take your point and extend it out. So let's take the point of the simple act of closing your computer or turning off the lights. If you are running a business and you begin to add up all the little ways you could eliminate sources of waste. It, that list can very quickly become a burden unless you shift the mindset that you're bringing to the act of turning off a light. And 
the the second piece of overall business advice I would give from my long experience on trial and error, like plenty of error, (laughs) is the lie of multitasking. And these devices that we're living off of are the biggest liars of all. The science is clear. Nobody multitasks. You shift back and forth from one task to the next, and you're trying to, so you're, you're alternating tasks. You're not multitasking. So why is that important? Because we know that when you drop the number of things you're switching back and forth and down to one, you do that thing really well. And so if you look at the list of all the ways you can cut waste, the, the Uber benefit is to actually do some of those things on a consistent basis. You need to change the way you relate to that list, not as a burden, but as an invitation to step away from the lie of multitasking and become much more of a practitioner of doing one thing at a time because you can only do one thing at a time. It's just how long you'll spend doing it. A few seconds and back to an email, a few seconds back then back to a text message. That's normal American work life. And it's not and and I can just see in my own employees, it's it's a productivity wrecker for me and for them. Oh, definitely. And I'm a big advocate for and I completely agree with you on multitasking and how it's just switching tasks and how it takes you off of your focus yeah. and the number of interruptions we get in a day and how it takes our brains several minutes to get back into the swing of things. And that's why I have people track their interruptions and then they're, they say, oh, I was interrupted 35 times this day, you know, on a particular day. And I say, well, how much work did you get done that day? Well, not much. Yeah, well, no kidding. It's like because you're constantly, you know, figure out ways to yes. block off of those things. You know, put the phone away or put it on, you know, airplane mode or whatever and focus on the things. You're going to accomplish a lot more. You're going to. Oh, my you, gosh, yes. And, 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 you, and you save time, too. And then what, in organizations, when you can work on deep things and get them done, then it gives you the time to sit back, reflect, look at opportunities. Okay, how did that work? How did I do that so well? Could I take those learnings and apply them to something else yeah. I'm doing or share it with my team? Then all of a sudden, you become efficient and more effective and the energy is being used in a more effective way, not just from solar panels and turning off the lights, but as a human being and being efficient with your own energy. And then you, you don't get stressed out. You don't burn out. You don't do all the things that we're right. seeing so many people dealing with right now. It's just, uh, it, you know, behaviors and, and habits are a driving force behind everything we do. And I think if you were to line up 30 people that Michael Levitt would call a successful business owner, take any 30 people, I think what we would find is that most of them have made their peace with the, with the hard reality that business ownership is a grind. You need to be a grinder. And speaking for myself, I grind better when I make my peace with grinding, whatever tra- task I got to grind on, and I don't demand that I be entertained while I grind. And Therein lies the profit promise of mindfulness. 
you know, if I'm going to, I'm going to lower dis- my distractions. I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to do it well, even if it sucks. And even if it's boring, I'm still going to do it well. And guess what? I get it done more quickly. The customer's happier. The employees are left alone. The, you know, investors are happy. As long as you can, you can untrain your customer environment that you're not universally available via electronic interruption, that you're a segmenter and you're a batcher, that's really the gating step. Everything else is just practicing. I love the batching uh, methodology. I do that with pretty much everything that I do. And it has made such a big difference in how I'm able to accomplish a lot of things and and still work at the the pace and the number of days and hours that I work, which you know has obviously diminished over time because you get more effective and you you batch like things together yes. and you have themes for your days and and when you run your own business, you can control that and you know you 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 unprogram or you know change the programming of your customers and and give them the expectations. Okay, this is when I will respond. This is when I won't and. And it just makes everything so much easier and flows so much better. And you 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 see the weeks go by and you're like, I'm absolutely having a blast with this. Yes, there's things yeah. that I do that are a grind, but it's the same analogy you give. It's like, all right, I know this may not be the most fun thing that I do, but it's something that I need to do. Let's do it. And you focus on it, you get it done. And when yeah. you go through life like that, Instead of sitting there for 20 minutes, you know, whining, complaining, going, oh, I don't want to do this. Well, you just wasted 20 minutes and you didn't get anywhere closer to finishing what you don't want to do. Just get it done. And, and, and you know, like they said, eat the frog first or rip off the bandaid, whatever analogy you want to use. But get it done and get it done well. And, yes. then, and then when you do that in everything you do, then your life's going to be so much better. And your organization will be too. And I think that's that's perhaps the one of the most portable things that the sustainability trend, let's call it, has for business writ large, whether it's a two-person shoe repair business or it's Amazon, be a mind, a greater mindfulness, even on the tasks that suck, just makes you better. It just makes you better in every step, and it brings you more joy and satisfaction, not just when it's done, but also during, and that's a big deal. So we can, I would say three times a week, I have to grind out 50, 60 LinkedIn messages. They're not terribly different from one another, but I need to personalize them. There's a piece of content we're moving around either for clients or or for our, our own thought leadership here at the firm. It's not the most entertaining and naturally appealing thing that I do, yet it's critical. And once I acknowledge my resistance to doing it and begin doing it, I notice I begin to enjoy the thing that I was dreading. And that is a huge benefit. I love that. That That's amazing. So Mike, I've enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you're doing? Oh, thanks. We're online at www.tigercom with two M's.us. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Mike, thank you again. And and congratulations on the success. Thank you. Really appreciate you having us. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the The Breakfast Breakfast Leadership Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business 
and your life.